So, John, what's the worst thing a teacher's ever done to you? Tried to make me run laps, maybe? That doesn't sound that bad. Oh, come on, you've never seen me run laps, clearly. (laughs) (laughs) Mm, Fair, you You don't strike me as the most athletic type. Oh, I'm sorry, as opposed to you? (laughs) I cycle everywhere. All right, fine, sure, yeah. That explains your athletic physique. Drop and give me 20. You dropped, give me 20. No. Remember last time we did this, we know who won. Welcome everybody to Beyond the Box Set, a podcast where you pitch prequels, sequels and spin-offs to films that don't have any. I'm Harry and joining me as always is John. Hello. Alright John, Matilda. All right, Harry. I guess continuing our little season of uh, films that starred the directors. Not starred, but had the directors in them. He's one of the stars of it, yeah. Um, yeah, th- so this well, is if the... you compare it to last week's film, The Cable Guy. Sure. Ben Stiller doesn't star in that. No, he's barely in it at all. Yeah. True. But yeah, so this is the 1996... Mm-hmm. Adaptation of Roald Dahl's classic novel, Matilda, mm-hmm. as directed by Danny DeVito, who also stars in the film, or appears in the film, as Matilda's father, Harry Wormwood. That's right. Ah, oh, it is Harry, yeah. Yeah. So it's the great name for all, you know, low lives. So. Ah, how dare you. <laughs> Indeed. Although if you were to ask me which character I relate to most, it is Harry Wormwood. In what sense? He's just great. He's just so grumpy and unhappy all the time. I love it. I was going to ask you, actually, what did you think of his suits? Uh, yeah, they were okay. They were middling because they weren't massively out there, but they weren't also completely weird, which Danny DeVito can pull off either. It was a lot of mustardy colours, mustardy yellows, and uh, mm. yeah, and then I wasn't sure. But they were supposed to look a bit skeevy. Yeah. So, was, was it like, so are you telling me that basically looking at Danny DeVito in this film is essentially looking into the future for you? If I shrink a lot, I guess. Yeah. Got a lot of hair loss to get through. Yeah. I think you can do it. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Listen, you little wiseacre. I'm smart, you're dumb. I'm big, you're little. I'm right, you're wrong. And there's nothing you can do about it. It's been on my list for ages to oh, do good. this film. Yeah, it's one of my favourite films of my childhood, and it's great fun to revisit. I agree. I'm so glad you picked this. This was so much fun. This is the most fun I've had watching one of our films for quite some time. Mm, yeah, same. It's just, I loved mm. it when I was a kid, I love it now. I think that this film, or a lot of the scenes in this film, are absolutely iconic. Mm. I would agree. So much of it immediately came back to me. It feels like cinema history. Mm -hmm. This film is such an amazing film. Is it the best adaptation of a Roald Dahl um, novel? Mm, I don't know, because the original Try and Chocolate Factory is pretty amazing as well. It is pretty good. I think it's a little bit more different to the book than this Yeah, I think that the Johnny Depp one was more loyal to the book. Yeah, and yet I don't think that worked as well. (laughs) And then the, The Witches is really good as well. Yeah, it's not a patch of Matilda, though, is it? No, no, no. I think Matilda might be my favourite. Yeah, yeah, and there's other ones as well. But yeah, Matilda. You know, Wes Anderson's take on Fantastic Mr. Fox. Is pretty oh, decent. yeah, of course. There's a bit, James and the Giant Peach is a pretty good one mm-hmm. as well. But no, I think this is my favourite, and this was my favourite Roald Dahl book as well. Yeah, I absolutely loved this one as a kid because I was quite a bookish child, mm-hmm. uh, and I spent a lot of my. Do you mean a nerd? No, I mean I was a bookish child. I was an intellectual. <laughs> I was a young intellectual. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you keep telling yourself that. Yeah, sure. I had friends. Mm-hmm. In the books. Yeah, that's what I was going <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I didn't have... My parents were perfectly nice. I wasn't like a, a horribly neglected child or anything, but I did spend a lot of my youth in 
public libraries just mm-hmm. reading books and this really spoke to me i felt like i was matilda when i was a little kid mm-hmm. in fact i have a really embarrassing but really strong memory of when i was about maybe eight or nine years old when i first read this book spending hours and hours just staring at glasses of water <laughs> trying to make them fall over <laughs> oh. well we've all had that phase sure 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 mine was with harry potter i was just waiting for my letter from hogwarts to come <laughs> never came i'm just imagining you wandering around the welsh valleys just shouting out expelling <laughs> accurate yeah you're not a million miles away yeah <laughs> uh, yeah but no i think this works so well because it's just a hair away from being a horribly dark tale of abuse mm-hmm. so it's not afraid as to go all good role doll yeah stories are exactly and i think as all as a lot of good children's stories are like a lot of my favorite children's stories whether it's role doll or not have this edge of darkness mm-hmm. and they're not kind of afraid to show that but it doesn't mean that they have to be really bleak and depressing because this film is joyous and fun mm. it's not a depressing film but it definitely isn't afraid to touch on the the darker subject matter of the film yeah the tone is for me is perfect would you mm. agree yeah yeah absolutely it, it gets the tone of the book and it gets that tone that kids can tap into right away mm. it's great i like how so much of it is shot from a kid's eye view mm-hmm. all the adults are filmed like from upwards and it yeah. really works really well especially when it's like the trunch bull you know it makes it look even more big and monstrous and it's, it does and it does make it look terrifying yeah mm. mm-hmm. it's really really good it's just real enough, but also just cartoonish enough that it's not scary and depressing. Mm. But it's also quite fun and hyper real. And it, that goes down to everything from the, the story and, and also the way it looks visually. Like, mm-hmm. because it is shot from that kind of child's eye perspective. And also the way everyone's dressed. Like obviously, we, went to, we talked about Danny DeVito's costumes. And obviously, the Trunch Bull is just the most amazing creation. She, <laughs> <laughs> she is Stunning in this. She's great. <laughs> it's been so much fun for the makeup artist. Like, yeah. And the costumes and everything. Like with the, the, the jodhpurs and the sensible boots, the army mm-hmm. boots and the socks, the tight, tight bun, the warts, the, like, the broken blood vessels on the skin. Mm-hmm. She, she looked horrifying. She must have had great fun playing it as well. Well, apparently she did actually stay in character through most of the filming, so the children would be genuinely terrified of her. Bloody hell. Yeah. Watching it as a child, she was so fun to watch mm-hmm. and scary at the same time. Yeah. It was weird how she managed to get that balance and incredible. Yeah. She's the best kind of villain because in any kind of film, you should always be slightly rooting for the villain. Mm-hmm. Well, I wasn't rooting for her to win because Miss Honey and Matilda are both delightful. But you know, you, you have fun watching her. She's not just this agent of misery. and Yeah, yeah. You actually really sort of like her because like, she's really fun to watch, like I said. Mm-hmm. She's camping it up to the max. Mm-hmm. It's so over the top. Like, some of her insults are amazing. A lot of it comes from the Roald Dahl book. Like, mm. they're so well written, and he's, he's great with language. But some of the ways she describes the children... So she'd be great at Scrabble. Mm. Like, she has a lot of... <laughs> she, she's got a very good vocabulary. <laughs> yeah. Actually, it's about the, the, the new girl in my class, Miss Trunchbull, Matilda Wormwood. Her father says she's a real what? A what? A carbuncle, a blister, a festering pustule, a malignant ooze. Oh, one day, Jen, you'll see that everything I do is for your own good. And the good of those putrescent little children. Sit down, you squirming worm of vomit. Stand up, you villainous sack of goat slime. You did this. I shall personally see to it that the demented, drooling, slime-breathed little Lilliputian who owns this disgusting ribbon will never see the light of day again. You didn't like the choke, eh, did you? Thought you'd pay me back, didn't you? Well, I'll pay you back, young lady. For what, Miss Trunchbull? For this newt, you pissworm! And the parents are great, too. The Wormwoods. 
The Wormwoods, yeah. I think they might be my favourite characters. Really? Mm. Yeah. They're so out there and they're just fun to watch and also horrible to watch. And also Danny DeVito, is, he's just hes just great. He is. He's, he's always a good time. Yeah. <laughs> Even though he's so different in pretty much every role he plays, he always does it so well. I think I'm now just stuck on him being in It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, mm-hmm. which is his character in that. And now whenever I see him, I just kind of compare him to that, I guess. Because that's when he's like at his grossest. Yeah. Because yeah. this, this one feels like natural progression. He's gone from Mr. Wormwood, where he's just... He's a bit dodgy, mm-hmm. you know, he's got a dodgy business, he makes money, and he's a bit of a horrible person, and then he's just getting worse and worse and worse until he turns into Frank and It's Always Sunny. Is this what your sequel's going to be? No. <laughs> it's like, Mr. Wormwood, after escaping from that, that town, ends up, in spe- uh, yeah, yeah, ends up in Philly, yeah, discovers his old family. He could have an old family, yeah. Like, yeah, true, true. <laughs> it could happen, yeah. I always did go for what happens to the Wormwoods next, I didn't in the end, but... Mm. Uh, yeah, that, I could totally imagine a world in which it's the same character. He just goes on a massive downward spiral. Yeah, yeah. And I thought she was great as well, Rhea Perlman, who is Danny DeVito's real-life wife. All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Didn't know that. Playing Zinnia Wormwood. Mm-hmm. And I thought her look was so fantastic. <laughs> Wasn't it? She was so tack, tack, tacky. It was so many, like, neon green and yellow and pink kind of crop tops and mm-hmm. the ratty hair extensions the peroxide blonde Mm -hmm. and I kept noticing little things as well little details on the way she was dressed that she or like the crew must have decided on and done on purpose like for example when she's on the phone to somebody Matilda comes in and she's too busy talking on the phone and Matilda's trying to tell her about her day and she's just too busy talking on the phone every one of her nails is painted a different (laughs) colour which is just great that's such a good detail and also there's another scene where she's wearing like a low slung because she's really like mutton dressed as lamb Mm. and there's another scene where she's wearing this kind of low slung kind of top and her boobs are covered in glitter (laughs) (laughs) missed that completely it was the first time I noticed it but it was yeah so obviously she really went all out on this kind of really tacky look and like the the makeup with the like really heavy eyeliner and mascara like she really was made up like a drag queen in some Mm -hmm. scenes and it was it was fantastic That's great. Yeah. I really liked the last scene that Mrs. Wormwood has mm-hmm. where she says goodbye to Matilda and yeah. just like, I never knew how to raise a daughter. And mm. it, it was really sweet. It was. It was a little moment of redemption for her. Yeah. Mm. Like, yeah. and I did Mr. Lo- Wormwood just didn't get it at all. It, it didn't, couldn't have cared less. Yeah. But she had that little moment. Yeah. yeah. But I did love the little detail that Matilda's been carrying around blank adoption papers since she was old enough to Xerox. So <laughs> yeah, that's great. Good. <laughs> Adopt me, Miss Honey. Adopt me. Look, I don't have time for all these legalities. One second, Dad. I have the adoption papers. What? Hey, where'd you get those? In a book in the library. I've had them since I was big enough to Xerox. All you have to do is sign them. What do you say, Pumpkin? Uh, you're the only daughter I ever had, Matilda. And I never understood you, not one little bit. Who's got a pen? And what did you think of Matilda herself, Mari Wilson? She was brilliant. I was expecting to watch through the other day thinking, okay, here we go, a bit of dodgy child acting, but mm-hmm. not at all. No. Yeah, she did an absolutely incredible job. And as with pretty much every other character, just great fun to watch. Yeah. She's just really pleasing to be on screen. Mm-hmm. 
I think for me, she's one of the, the all-time great child actors. She's mm. so good. She projects intelligence really well. Because mm-hmm. obviously the whole point of Matilda, you have to believe she's the smartest person in the room in, at any given time. Yeah. That's her whole thing. And she does that so for someone her age, like eight, nine years old when she filmed this film. She's not just like reciting the lines like a lot of child actors do, including some in this film, some of the lesser ones in this film. <laughs> but she was really like understood the character totally. There's so many little moments that I really loved, like when she walks into the house and just kind of nonchalantly goes, the cops are watching the house. Yeah. <laughs> she just says it with this really kind of deadpan kind of like, yeah. she's great. I love her. And when she's arguing about how old she is, because he thinks she's four, and she's like, I'm six and a half. I should have been in school. I asked to go to school. I should have been in school in September. Like, mm. Yeah, she was really, really good. I like her a lot. She's actually done really well out of the whole being a child actor thing because she did the right thing, whereas so many child actors like, you know, Lindsay Lohan and Judy Garland and all the other, even Hayley Joel Osment, go off the rails a bit and, you know, it all ends being quite depressing. She did like two or three films after this and then she decided she didn't really like acting anymore. So she just stopped. And then she just seems to be very well adjusted these days. She writes plays, she, she's a journalist, I think she's written books, and she just seems very like smart and happy and healthy and fulfilled, which is really nice. It's nice to see some child actors not end up just, you know, drug-addled train wrecks. Yeah. So that's, you know, because that would make the film depressing to watch if you were watching this. Yeah, it would. It's like when you watch old Lindsay Lohan films and you think, oh, she was great then, but oh, it's such a shame how it turned out, you know. Mm. Or like Corey Heyman, Corey Feldman films and stuff, or even Hayley Joel Osment films. Whereas this, it's like, oh, great, she's great and she's still great. Mm. Great. Yeah. It was a weird sentence. It was a weird sentence. (laughs) Too many greats, yeah. Where'd all this come from? The library. The library? You've never set foot in a library. You're only four years old. Six and a half. You're four. Six and a half. If you were six and a half, you'd be in school already. I want to be in school. I told you I was supposed to start school in September. You wouldn't listen. Any particular favourite scenes? I mean, there's so many. Maybe when we first actually see Mara Wilson is in the scene where she's walking back from the library with Mm. a trailer of books. Yeah. Oh, I might have have cried a little bit when she first walks into the library. (laughs) (laughs) It was just... It was so sweet. It is so adorable. Mm. We've got to actually say, that actress did really well as well. Oh yeah, the younger one. Yeah, she was great, yeah. They were yeah. all really good. There were no real weak links at all. Yeah, she was just adorable. And then that scene with, with her walking down the street with the trailer of books and the music mm. comes in. And it's like, oh, is that music? Oh, I remember that music. The from- music really, yeah. I had such a strong memory of the music. Like when she's, the first scene when she's cooking the eggs for herself or mm-hmm. the, the pancakes, she's making the pancakes and that music, that kind of... Uh, slightly tribal sounding song I don't know what it is comes in and I was like oh my god this song I've not heard it since mm. the last time I watched this film which is a long time ago mm. but yeah everything about this film has stayed in my memory much more than I thought it had yeah yeah I'm away I'm away I'm away I'm away that song is the Matilda song uh, it 100% is <laughs> is it the same song she's dancing to later on in the film or is that a different song you know I'm not sure when I'm referring to the Matilda song I don't know which one I'm referring to yeah but they were both really good yeah <laughs> <laughs> but you, I think I'd hear them both and just be like okay that's from Matilda 100% yeah Oh, such a great film, such happy memories. Yeah, yeah. I'm really pleased with this one. What about uh, Bruce Bogtrotter? Oh, one of the greatest heroes of all the cinema, I feel. <laughs> <laughs> what a legend. <laughs> oh, God, imagine being in that school on that day. Yeah. That'd be... That'd be something else. Honestly, I think that... Where did a... that cake go? Absolutely. Because that cake was... 
like the size of his the top half of his body. Oh yeah. <laughs> so either his stomach is now very dense. Yeah. <laughs> Or he was just actively shitting through the whole process. <laughs> That's what you don't see. He just sat in a massive pool of his own shit. Just in and out. I mean, that oh, means, God. That means Sorry, we lowered the tone now. That would be too twisted even for old dog. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, and the cook. I'd forgotten about the cook. Oh, no. Oh. <laughs> Oh, that's disgusting. What a great one-line card. Just, like, licking both of our elbows and then just going, see you at lunch. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Ugh. Oh, she was fantastic. God, how are, all, how are any of those kids still alive? <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> this is the point where the film, it does obviously go into the realm of fantasy because those kids would be dead. Like, mm. Hortensia says, like, you know, she's talking about when the first kid, one who eats the M&Ms, gets thrown out the window. And Matilda goes, was he okay? And she went, after being thrown out of a window? No, he lived. But like, and then you don't see it. You see, imagine him being, he must have been hospitalised or something. Mm. And then, but then obviously you have Amanda Fripp as well, who gets um, thrown around by her pigtails, which is another very memorable scene. It's just fun. Now, I want to go back a little bit. I do have sure. a question about that cake. Okay, so, <laughs> talk more about the cake. <laughs> so, I actually do have one, if you will. <laughs> the challenge begins. <laughs> um, so Bruce Bogtrot stole a slice of it and ate it. Sure. And it was the Trunchbull's cake. Yes. And we see it on stage, Mm -hmm. and there's a slice missing already, and then she cuts another slice and gives it to him, and then says, eat the whole thing, actually. Yes. So, did Cook cook that cake for Trunchbull? I guess. So Cook's blood, sweat, and tears went into that cake. Mm -hmm. I mean, maybe not. Maybe that was just Trunchbull being a bit elaborate on stage. But regardless, that cake for one person, even Mm -hmm. the Trunchbull, that's a lot of cake. Well, she's a big that lady. That cake was the size of this table. It was, but, you know, she's big. She's very athletic. She, she... couldn't eat all that cake. <laughs> it's a fantasy, Harry. Like, that's where she gets all her aggression and body strength from. She's just... Cake? Yeah. Actually, no. That's she... not how athletics works. No, she'd actually be very lethargic. <laughs> you can't just eat sugar and then just burn it off. That's it's not quite right. <laughs> I don't know what to tell you, but... Yeah, it's a bit, a bit of a flaw in the film, really, if you oh. ask me. Oh, yeah, the logic of this film has just fallen apart completely mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. Thumbs down, two thumbs down. Yeah. Cookie! She made this cake just for you to have on your very own. Her sweat and blood went into this cake, and you will not leave this platform until you have consumed the entire confection! Entire confection. See you at lunch. Thank you, Cookie. Rotten kids. You wanted cake, you got cake. Now eat it. Any more logistical questions about this film? Particularly related to Bruce Bogtrotter and the cake? No, but Amanda Thripp, right? Right, sure, yeah. So, it's being swung around by her pigtails. Yes. How have they not just come off? Oh, come on. Now you're just being a killjoy. It's a fantasy for children. You're not going to watch a, a child's hair being ripped out of their her head by the fibres. But that's just what would happen. the bloody stumps, like, you know. Okay, point number three. When, when 40-year-old Matilda is walking to the library and back and, you know, across the road and everything, mm-hmm. has not one single person stopped to ask her, where are your parents? Yeah. She's a four-year-old girl walking around a massive big city by herself. Mm-hmm. Someone needs to say something. I feel like the librarian kind of, yeah, she seems to know enough, but yeah, she's like, oh, you can get your own library card, but no point is she like... Can I have your address, please, for yeah. your library card? Well, maybe people, maybe she did contact the parents and had the same reaction Miss Honey did and actually realised that, you know what, she's better off being able to have this place to come to rather than being left alone with those neglectful 
people. Maybe. But Maybe. all I see are uh, some plot holes there. And sure. I think, okay. terrible film. Oh, well, another one ruined. End of podcast. Let's just cancel <laughs> it right there. I hope listeners realise I am being sarcastic. You? Never. <laughs> <laughs> I also forgot, like, the chokey is genuinely quite terrifying. Oh my god, yeah, that was... Why is it smoking? What's burning in there? (laughs) I guess it was a a steam vent. Oh, okay, sure. Maybe? Because also, I mean, not that I want to follow you down this rabbit hole of logic flaws, but the kids would die of smoke inhalation if it was constantly that smoking. If it was smoke, yes. If it was steam, steam, no, no. yeah. If it was steam, no, they'd just come up quite refreshed. (laughs) Pretty wet. Probably, yeah, but you know. Like about refreshed. Yeah. Well, you know, steam Does room. that look like a refreshing steam room? No, no, it looks horrifying, yeah. <laughs> you can't move, there's spikes in the walls. Oh, yeah, I mean, they'd be traumatised, but they'd have great pores, you know. Yeah. <laughs> baby soft skin. <laughs> well, I mean, they are children, so they're going to have baby soft skin either way. But, yeah, <laughs> yeah that, well, that's a good turn. <laughs> <laughs> this is getting weird. <laughs> the chokey, yeah. It was really scary. Mm. With all those rusty nails and... Yeah. Ooh, yeah. The hammer throws her specialty. So she does this half the time? Better than being put in the chokey. Chokey? Yeah, the chokey. It's a tall, narrow hole in a wall behind a door. You have to stand in a drippy pipe with jagged edges, and the walls have broken glass and nails sticking Get out. Sistering ball of ass! She puts kids in there? I've been in twice. Sometimes she leaves you in there all day. But didn't you tell your parents? They didn't believe me. I mean, would your parents believe it? So, long story short, too many plot holes, terrible film. <laughs> nah, great film. One of the best. Yeah, absolutely fantastic. Love it to bits. Should we get on to some drinking games? Let's. Okay, so my first one is drink for any Roald Dahl references. Okay, cool. What did you notice? There were a few people, a few insults uh, where somebody would call someone else a twit. Yep. Just a few of them. There was a lot of chocolate. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was a lot of child abuse. <laughs> yes. That's not a specific Roald Dahl reference. No, he didn't invent child abuse. It's in all those God, films, but yeah. It's, yeah, it's, it's in literally everything he's, he's written. True, 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 yeah. So, there we go. I'm kind of that as a reference. So every time you see child abuse in a non Dahl film, you're like, that's such a Dahl thing. <laughs> Not really, all right? <laughs> okay, I was making a joke. Stop oh, trying God. to apply logic to it. Oh, I'm sorry. Who, whoever would do that? <laughs> Who would kill a joke with logic and plot holes? <laughs> anyway, conveniently enough, my first drinking game is, in fact, horrifying child abuse. What? It's copying me. Not copying. Your one was Roald Dahl references. Mine was specifically drink every time a child is horribly abused. So does Amanda Fripp being thrown around by her pigtails? Mm-hmm. Bruce Bogtrotter being forced to eat that cake, although he ended up kind of enjoying it. The scene where Matilda's dad like grabs her face and makes her watch the TV on scene and makes it explode, that was pretty dark, mm-hmm. I felt. Right. And obviously she's left alone so very much. Mm, yes, but she likes that. She does like that. Uh, Miss Honey, if, if you count her as a child, in the flashbacks as well, she mm. gets her arm broken. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he, the trunch ball actually murders their dad. They make that pretty explicit, which is pretty dark. Oh, well, yeah, they, true. What about yeah. that? Yeah. She's an actual killer. Damn her. Yeah. Anyway, next one. Oh, yeah. Drink for outstanding music. Yes, absolutely. Great soundtrack in this film. Yeah. Do you want to know a cute fact about the dancing scene? The main one when she discovers their powers and she's sure. dancing. Well, even though, obviously, they play horrible parents... Danny DeVito and Rhea Perlman were actually very, very nice to Mari Wilson mm. in the filming and got very close to her. And I believe they stated such a riff throughout her life and she sees them as like, you know, close friends, family friends. Mm. Anyway, when they were filming that dance scene where she's being psychic and moving everything around, she was really self-conscious because she, she didn't want to be the only person dancing. So while she's filming that scene, they're both off, off stage, just dancing with gay abandon. Wow. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> is... So she wouldn't be the only one. Isn't that, isn't that adorable? Yeah, that's lovely. Yeah. <laughs> Oh. Yeah. 
I mean, can she see them dancing? Yeah, that's the whole point. I think, in fact, the entire cast and crew were, were dancing. Yeah, right. They made everyone dance so that she wouldn't be the only person dancing because she was really self-conscious because she mm. was a kid, you know? So that was the hardest thing she had to do, apparently. She struggled to... She was shy about dancing, so they just turned it to a big old dance party but only filmed her. Like, oh, yeah. Sweet, bless. Drink every time the Trunchbull lays down a sick burn. <laughs> Go on. <laughs> like, her dialogue was amazing. Her insults were fabulous. Mm. And the voice work she was doing, like, that's what I mean. She was so hamming it up to the max. She was so good at it. Like, just one of the all-time, all-time great children's villains. Mm. Absolutely fantastic. So, yeah, every time she just burns, every time she reads a kid to filth, mm-hmm. have a drink. God, she's such a horrible person. And yet so aspirational. I love her so yeah. much. <laughs> <laughs> she's great. Mm-hmm. Amanda Thrip. Yes, Miss Trunchbull? What are those? What's what, Miss Trunchbull? Hanging down by your ears. You mean my pigtails? Are you a pig, Amanda? No, Miss Trunchbull. Do I allow pigs in my school? My mommy thinks they're sweet. Your mommy is a twit. Drink any time a character reads out to a random number. A random number? Yeah, there's actually a fair few. Mm, remind me. There's a lot in, in classrooms where just like 13 times 553 and then Matilda's just like 18,020 oh, or whatever. Oh, yeah. And then Danny DeVita comes back and I just sold this car £15,200 and it cost me this much or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So there's quite a few bits of just characters just spouting out numbers. Yeah. I did find that somewhat unrealistic. What? Danny DeVito's sales? No, well, maybe I didn't really put too much thought into that. The main thing is that she's this great reader and she loves books mm. she's got this great imagination which I could relate to but in general people who are good at literature aren't good at maths it's two separate sides of the brain I was like this is unfair you can't be good at everything Matilda like, well sorry name she is she's like I read a book about maths once and then suddenly I'm a human calculator like come on sorry I didn't write it no I couldn't do maths that's thing. I could relate to Matilda to the extent I read voraciously when I was a kid but I was always terrible at maths so I was like oh. I'm not really Matilda then. You sound very bitter. I'm a little bit. I couldn't knock You're over not a little bit. <laughs> I couldn't knock over glasses and I couldn't multiply five digit numbers in my head in a split second. So it made me feel very insecure. Mm. Yeah. Oh well. Poor anyway, you. Poor me indeed. Pretty soon you'll be able to do any multiplication, whether it's two times seven. Fourteen. Very good. Or thirteen times three hundred and seventy-nine. <laughs> Four thousand nine hundred twenty-seven. Beg your pardon? I think that's the answer. Drink every time the trunch bull is a bull in a china shop. What does she break? Does she break much? She breaks loads. She's very destructive to her own property. She's True, always, yeah. like, doing indoor shot puts and indoor javelin. Yeah. Like, it's like, how much damage are you causing? This is your property. True, true. Uh, and then, obviously, whenever she gets angry, she literally becomes a bull. Like, she's... The way she runs, mm. the, and she just, like, charges, and she the just way she snorts. Through. Yeah, exactly. It's very much deliberate, and she's, like... Mm blasting through furniture she flings things she breaks things so mm-hmm. she's just this force of utter destruction mm-hmm. which is great I liked the bit where she jumped off the balcony down the stairs or instead of down the stairs yes and just landed down the chandelier crashed down behind her mm. it inspired me to jump off stairs <laughs> as a kid yeah <laughs> How did that go for you? We were great. I had, a, I had a great time. I'm trying to over so many banisters. Really? <laughs> oh. In hindsight, I was very lucky. Yeah, my God, I'm glad you're still here today. Well, somewhat. Yeah. Um, I also remember thinking the bit where she charges at Lavender, you know, Matilda's mm-hmm. best friend, and Matilda uses her psychic powers to 
make Lavender jump up. Yeah. And then she said, Lavender's kind of hanging from a high ceiling. And then Matilda kind of said, when it's all clear, Matilda mm. says, let go. And obviously she uses her psychic powers to let Lavender, mm. you know, float gently to the ground and safely to the ground. And then Lavender says, I didn't know I could do that. And I thought to myself watching it this time, I hope someone told her afterwards that she couldn't. Because <laughs> that could have led to some tragic outcome. <laughs> Very true. Yep. God. Mm. <laughs> Uh, my final one is drink for sports. For sports? Okay, sure. Okay, let's say sport fighting. A lot of abuse was adapted from sports. Do you mean whenever she throws someone or throws something at someone? or Like, say, in- instead of the javelin, she threw Amanda Thripp. Yes, indeed. Sorry, that one's discus. Yeah. Uh, and then the javelin would be that person throws out the window. Mm-hmm. Now, is competitive eating, does that count as a sport? She didn't do it, though, but yeah. I was... But, I mean, she, she made Bruce do it. Happened. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I guess. Mm-hmm. Cool, all right. Yeah. Okay, uh, my last one is drink every time Miss Honey oversteps the teacher-pupil boundary. In what way? Well, sometimes she was a little bit inappropriate. I mean, again, in the service of the film. How so? Well, turning up on her parents' doorstep the first day, kind of barging in, that was a little bit. Mm. Taking Matilda with her to break into her house. Mm. Yeah. Telling Matilda, an eight-year-old girl, about the horrific abuse she suffered as a child. She was like, you know, oh, Miss Trunchbull's my auntie, and she broke my arm once, and I'm pretty sure she killed my dad. <laughs> I, was, I was waiting for Matilda to be like, why are you telling me this? <laughs> I'm eight. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, encouraging her to go in and steal Lissy Doll and, you know. Yeah, there were just some moments. I was like, yeah. Fair. Yeah. Fair. I mean, Miss Honey is lovely, but yeah. Mm. I just, it just made me laugh thinking for, like, teachers would not get away with actually behaving like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. A girl I know used to live in that house. Her life was good and happy. When she was just two years old, her mother died. Her father was a doctor, and he needed someone to look after things at home, so he invited the mother's stepsister to come and live with him. But the girl's aunt was a mean person who treated the girl very badly. The trench ball. Yes. And worst of all, when the girl was five, her father died. How did her father die? The police decided he'd killed himself. Why would he do such a thing? No one knows. Cool. Okay, well, if that's that, then we will shortly get on some sequels, but first of all, to talk a little bit about Patreon. Mm. That's what we do at this point in the episode, I guess. So if any of you are particular fans of the show and would like to support us in any way, if you'd like to say thank you in, in a financial way to us, then we'd be thankful back. A financial thank you. What a lovely way of putting it. Yeah. So if you go to patreon.com slash set, you can donate anywhere between two and $15,000 a month to us. I don't know why I say that every week. No one's going to donate 15000 Not with that attitude, they're not. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, as our thank you to you, we've got a bit of bonus content on there. About once a week, we post an episode of our show called Beyond Beyond the Box Set, where we review films that are in the cinema right now. Mm-hmm. What's our latest episode? At time of recording, it's Love, Simon. Oh, yeah. But I'm sure we'll have more by the time this comes out, because we're a few weeks ahead at the moment. So, yeah. yeah. So what else do we do on Patreon, John? So once a month, we also have a Patreon special episode in which one of our patrons is invited to select a film for us to cover on this podcast. And if they wish to join us to discuss the film with us, they are more than welcome to. You could also... Tell us some personal details about yourself, and we will, in <laughs> as, pers- as, as horrifying as, as you like, and uh, we will use them to make you a character in one of our sequels. What we mean is, give us your name or a name, yeah. and we'll make you a character. Hmm. That's it. We don't need your mother's maiden name. We don't need the street you grew up on or your first pet. Mm-hmm. I mean, or, or if you want to, then yeah, yeah if you want sure. to, sure, yeah. And finally, uh, yeah, every month we will do a thirty-second advert slot. 
for anything that you want that you want to advertise. So that could be your own podcast, it could be your own business, it could be a business you like, or as I do every single week, I pick up one of John's household objects and try and advertise that for a little bit. You know, without soon, aren't you? It's quite a sparse apartment, I keep. What? This is full of crap. All right, well, go on. What have we got here? Goldfish. Get them, they're good. There's two of them here. They, they keep trying to escape. Yeah. Yeah, I have right. two. They're worth hiding now, I'm talking about them. Yeah, they're very publicity shy. What are they called? Uh, so my goldfish at the moment, we recently lost Befinda Carlisle, sadly. So now I have Place Jones and Gil Scott Heron. Lovely. Gil Scott Heron's new. Place Jones has uh, been with me for a long time. Mm-hmm. And uh, Gil Scott Heron's a new arrival, so she's only wee. But yeah, they're very affectionate, loving pets. And Great. They've seen me naked many times. <laughs> Lovely. So if you want to buy John's goldfish... <laughs> <laughs> and, and all the haunting memories, and all the disturbing memories that haunt them. <laughs> Um, so if you would like to support us on Patreon, then it's patreon.com slash beyondtheboxer, and we will be eternally thankful. We will. And if you do donate that 15k, we'll do something extra special for you. Yeah. Extra special. Not that if extra. you know what I mean. Not that extra. <laughs> it's negotiable. Okay, well, let's go on some sequels. John, what you got for me? Okay, so my sequel. I have decided to follow my favourite character from this film in a sequel, which isn't Matilda. It is, in fact, Miss Trunchbull. Oh, I thought it was going to be the newt. The Newt. <laughs> I've really gone, yeah. <laughs> gone on a journey. It's Watership Down. <laughs> no, okay. So my sequel is a direct sequel, and it's called Trunchbull's Last Stand. Mm-hmm. Matilda 2, Trunchbull's Last Stand. So, obviously at the end of the first film, Miss Trunchbull flees town forever because she's exposed, she's kicked out of the school. Mm-hmm. So she has nowhere to go. So she flees town forever and ends up in New York City, okay. where she rents a small apartment and... She fits in pretty well in New York City because that's one of those places where her hyper-aggressive tendencies just read as typical big city behaviour. Mm-hmm. People in big cities get rude. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So she can't possibly go back into teaching because no reputable school would ever hire her. So she needs to find a new way to make ends meet, basically. So she works a few dead-end jobs at first. I think we might have a funny montage here of Miss Trunchbull attempting all kinds of jobs that she's woefully ill-suited for. Such as... Working behind a perfume counter, maybe. Mm-hmm. Or just on customer service generally, doing telesales. Her on customer service. Yeah, anything customer service based on. Oh, great. like on the phone? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my God. That'd be incredible. Mm-hmm. That'd be incredible to watch. She'd be so angry all the time. Exactly, exactly. And she should definitely drive an Uber at some point. <laughs> she gets very, as we saw in the original film, she gets a lot of road rage. So. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, just lots of like jobs that she's very much unsuited for mm-hmm. anyway eventually she ends up as a laborer on a construction site okay where her fearsome strength becomes an asset obviously mm. so she mostly tries to keep herself to herself because she's not exactly a social animal is she she's not really a people person no no but she does end up winning the grudging respect of her co-workers thanks to her strong work ethic and her take no shit attitude and there's one worker who's maybe kind of a little takes a bit of a liking to her not in a romantic way because i think it's pretty clear that he'd be barking up the wrong tree there <laughs> Not a stereotype, but come on, <laughs> let's be real. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I don't know, there's something about her that he just likes. You know, he's, he's that classic, you know, sees the good. Like that guy who was friends with the Punisher in that one episode before. Mm-hmm. He, yeah. Who I thought was going to be a character and then never seen again. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, that's by the by. So anyway, there's this one character, on, there's one construction worker who takes a liking to her and he's constantly trying to convince her to kind of join the rest of the men after work for a few beers one night. And initially, she witheringly dismisses him in her typical, you know, aggressive style. But over, over the months that she's working there, eventually he kind of wears her down. And she finally agrees to join the men for some after-work drinks, if only just to shut him up. So they go to a local bar after their shift. They have a few drinks. 
And she's not really that comfortable. You know, she's, she's feeling a bit, a bit anxious. She doesn't really enjoy socialising, particularly. But it turns out, as the night goes on and the drinks flow, the bar that they're in is running an open mic night. Mm-hmm. Oh, God, fucking hell. <laughs> oh, oh, man. All right. Well, where do you think this is going? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but just those, those are not two things I've ever thought to put together. The trunch ball and an open mic night. I was very happy when I came up with this. Oh, dear. <laughs> So this bar's running an open mic night, and there's singer-songwriters, there's stand-up comics, there's performance artists, and she finds the whole thing absolutely insufferable. Mm-hmm. So much so that she starts loudly heckling all of the acts from off stage. Right. So she's just like, piss off, shut up, get off the stage, you grotty little piss worm, just using her flowery language mm-hmm. and everything. And she is brutal. She takes down each and every one of them with her mercilessly worded put-downs, so much so that several of the acts actually flee the stage in tears. Wow. Yeah. However, the audience are absolutely loving it. Mm-hmm. So eventually the compere of the evening gets sick and tired of her interrupting the show. And he says, look, lady, if you think you're so much better than everybody else, why don't you come up here and show us how it's done? And of course, her first response is, lady. <laughs> <laughs> and then because she's never wanted to back down from a challenge, she storms onto the stage where she proceeds to tear into the audience. Mm -hmm. Like, she's hurling insults left and right, just going from person to person to person. Totally rude, utterly un-PC, absolutely offensive, and the crowd is just living for it. Mm -hmm. Like, she doesn't even realise she's doing a set. She's just literally up there hurling abuse, just having a tantrum. (laughs) Because that's her default defence mechanism, right? Yeah, yeah. But... By the end, the crowd, like, on their feet, literally just screaming, like, do me, do me! And she's just reading everyone for filth. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> and at the end of the show, they have a cheer-off to decide who the best actor of the night is. Mm-hmm. And even though she wasn't technically competing, she wins by an absolute landslide. Mm-hmm. And as the compere shakes her hand, he begrudgingly says to her, I've got to say, that was one of the best sets I've seen in a long time. You've got the makings of a really great insult comic. <laughs> Sure, yeah. yeah. So, because this is inspired by the fact that she's, as horrible as she is, she's fucking funny. Mm. She has a great sense of humour. Like, not just the insults. Like, I, have, I forgot actually one of my favourite lines of the film, actually, that I forgot to mention is when she's got the newt on her chest and everyone's giggling and she just kind of goes, come on, what is it? What's so funny? I enjoy a joke as much as the next fat person. <laughs> <laughs> I, just, I just think she's hilarious. I was like, You've, I really got the sense watching this film she was just in the wrong industry. Like, <laughs> I just don't think teaching was for her. <laughs> Given that kids were her biggest hate. A nemesis, yeah, yeah. exactly. Like, I think if she could have channeled her natural quick wit mm-hmm. into something constructive, mm-hmm. like stand-up comedy, Insult comedy specifically, she could have gone far. So that's what inspired this. Yeah. So yeah. So yeah, she has this amazing set, wins the prize, and is told that she's got the makings of a great insult comic. And he gives her his card and tells her to get in touch if she ever wants another booking. And she's very conflicted by this because she's never really thought of herself as like a people person mm-hmm. or an entertainer, God forbid. Mm-hmm. And she really just wants to keep her head down. And but at the same time, she did kind of enjoy herself. <laughs> like she hasn't felt that kind of rush since her glory days on the shot put field. Like, you know, that, just letting out all that aggression and, you know, succeeding. And also, she could really use the money. So, she agrees to take another gig, and once again, she crushes it. Mm. And before long, she's the toast of the New York stand-up comedy circuit. Right. 
So I saw a movie last year called The Big Sick, which is set on the New York comedy circuit. And I really enjoyed the fact that that had a lot of actual stand-up comics kind of playing versions of themselves. Okay, I always cool. enjoy that in films. Yeah. Like celebrities playing themselves. Uh, so I was thinking as she gets bigger and starts playing bigger stages, she can be sharing the stage with a bunch of famous comedians. So we could have cameos from people like Chris Rock, Wanda Sykes, Bianca Del Rio, Aziz Ansari, Amy Schumer, you know, all these famous comedians. And they're all like, wow, Agatha, you're really something. Mm. Like, you are crazy. And she's she's part of this crowd now. She's suddenly part of this hip New York stand-up comedian crowd. She's got a stage name. I was thinking she could just be Agatha Trump, but I think I don't think she'd really hold of a stage name. Mm. Yeah, I, think, I don't think she's that, you know, she's too straightforward. I was thinking if she just went with her surname. Just Trunchbull. Yeah. Yeah, the Trunchbull. Maybe, just, maybe she's just the Trunchbull. Lose Trunch Agatha. Just, yeah, yeah. Just, okay, wow, Trunchbull. You're really something. Mm. Anyway. And soon she's so popular, she's headlining her own tours. Mm-hmm. Like selling out thousands and thousands of seats a night. And she even gets an invite to perform on a popular late night TV show, which is often where stand-up comics, you know, get mm-hmm. TV exposure. Yeah. So, and this is where we're going to cut to the sole cameo in the entire film of Matilda and Miss Honey. Okay. So they're back in wherever it was the first film was set, you know, the town, watching TV. And they flick over, it's like the Conan O'Brien show or something, like some American thing, to see this new, wealthy and stylish version of the Trunchbull performing her stand-up comedy sets. And they'll just be like, what the... <laughs> and then we'll go away from them. That's all I see. Sure, all right. Yeah. I think that'd be really cute. Yeah. So she's doing really well, but even though she gets this massive rush out of the performing aspect of it, as her star rises, she realises that she really hates the trappings of celebrity that come with it. Mm-hmm. Because she basically hates all human beings. Mm. That's essentially why she's so good at being an insult comic. Yeah. And she's horrified to discover that some of her biggest fans are actually teenage hipsters. who <laughs> think that her no-nonsense personal style and angry delivery are like just some kind of ironic character performance. Mm-hmm. I mean, they don't think it's the real her. And so she always tries to dissuade fans from approaching her in public. So basically, every time someone comes up for an autograph, she'll just be like, piss off! You know? <laughs> but the ruder and more insulting she is to them, the more they love her. Quick question, is she still wearing the same, the same outfit? I think yes. I think maybe she's got a little bit more stylish. But mm-hmm. I, think, I think like the essential kind of, you know, militant look is definitely going to be tied up with the character. Mm, so yeah. It's like any stand-up comic who's actually an actor playing a character. Like, you know, Keith Lemon or Ali G. You know, when, when it's an actor playing a character, the costume is very much part of the character. Mm, Whereas yeah. I still guess people assume that there's a real person who's nothing like this character. But actually what they don't realise is that that's actually who she is. Mm-hmm. And that's part, therein lies some of the comedy. So soon she finds herself in this hell of her own making where she's performing for audiences that she despises and being constantly hounded by fans and paparazzi and even getting asked to do personal appearances at hospitals where people ask her to, like, roast sick children. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. <laughs> so one day, she gets off stage, and she's just at breaking point. Like she's just had too much of all the attention and the harassment. And one of her typical fans, who's this 20-something white man with long dreadlocks who smells strongly of hemp, he races up to her and asks her for an autograph. And as usual, she just, like... Fuck off, you walking arcade fire song or something. Some some creative insight. (laughs) And uh, he laughs and he's like, yeah, that's great. But seriously, the autograph? And he keeps following her and demanding that she sign something for him. And she keeps telling him in more and more colourful ways that he needs to fuck off and die. And he's just not getting the message at all. He's getting increasingly aggressive as he follows her. And eventually she snaps and in a blind rage, she grabs him by the dreadlocks and she just flings him through the window of a nearby coffee shop. Mm Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, there's no adorable psychic toddlers around this time. So he goes right through that window and he is horribly injured. And worst of all, the paparazzi catch everything on camera. Mm -hmm. So now she's in the middle of this enormous scandal and she's arrested. And soon she's at the center of this massive celebrity trial in a huge media circus. The unfortunate fan lives, 
However, he has to testify against her in a wheelchair on account of all his injuries. Mm-hmm. And worst of all, on account of her being put on trial, her past as a murderous child abuser all comes back to haunt her. Mm-hmm. It all comes out, you know, people investigate her past and find out all this stuff. Maybe Matilda and Miss Honey come and testify against her too. Although I still like the idea that they're only in that one scene. So yeah. Maybe not, yeah. So anyway, she's exposed and she's humiliated and she's ultimately sentenced to 15 years in a high security women's prison. A yeah. stand-up career now in tatters. Mm-hmm. So we cut to her in the prison yard after being sent down. And she's like deadlifting an extremely heavy set of dumbbells, you know, in the backyard. And she's confronted by a large, heavily tattooed fellow inmate who aggressively informs her that she's the top dog at this facility. And if she wants to stay out of trouble, she better show some goddamn respect. Mm -hmm. So the movie ends as Agatha Trunchbull smiles, turns to the inmate, the top dog, and with with a scream of anger, grabs her by the throat. Then we cut to black. Boom, end credits. Because that's a happy place. I think she'd do well in prison too. <laughs> wow. Mm. Crikey. Mm-hmm. Okay. Any questions? No. No, not really. You've covered that pretty, pretty thoroughly. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty happy with that one. Yeah, it was good. Yeah. Yeah. There it is. That is the Trunchbull's last stand. Oh, great. Cool. Cool. What's funny? Hmm? Come on, spit it out. Speak up. I like a joke as well as the next fat person. Okay, so mine is a straight sequel, mm-hmm. and it's called Matilda 2, No More Miss Nice Girl, which is actually a line that she says in, in the first film. It is, you're right, yeah. I heard it, and I was like, that's it. That's the name I'm taking. Just building it all around that. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah. Exactly. But, <laughs> okay, so we start off with a montage, as I'm known for, I guess, sure, yeah, yeah. with uh, Matilda growing up with a narration from Danny DeVito. Sure, okay. Matilda was a very smart girl, way above the class that she was in. She made it through primary school in just one year and high school in two. She was a very powerful little girl. She could move things with her mind, but she didn't let anybody know, apart from her foster mother, Miss Honey. Miss Honey is the nicest person you'll ever meet. She's beautiful, yet not to be messed with. She's also the head teacher of the school and is friends with every student. Matilda's powers are the only thing in the whole world that she's jealous of. Matilda finished high school when she was nine, and so they had to get a private tutor to tutor her through college. She completed college in two years as well, with top marks. She studied as many topics as she possibly could. She finished her third degree at the age of 17, where she, she stopped academia for a bit to chase boys. Sure, okay. <laughs> now, I'm what sure, do you mean? Now, I'm sure you'd love for the story to be all about that, because let's be honest, we're all a bit intrigued. But let's just say she had a few flings here and there as the years went by, but never a relationship. That wasn't really what she wanted. Oh, are you doing the Danny DeVito narration right now? Yeah. Okay, I thought you sounded like you were doing a bit of a voice. I'm not impersonating Danny DeVito. No, you're not, but you're you're doing something. Yeah. (laughs) I'm just reading. Yeah, yeah. At age 23, she found herself pregnant. The father was around, but he didn't want to be involved, and she didn't really want him to either. So she had a little boy who she raised by herself in what is now Granny Honey's home and named the boy Magnus. Oh, I think I know where this is going to go. Continue. <laughs> <laughs> she loves him more than anything. And when the day came for her to send him off to Granny Honey's school, she couldn't bear it. So she went with him and became a teacher. Okay. And this is where our story picks up. Okay. So we start with a scene in a dark and rainy, rocky place. There is a shed with a light inside and the sound of muffled shouting. Probably a lot of swear words. Cool, okay. We go inside and see this is where Trunchbull lives. She is now 20 years more bitter, 20 years more horrible, and 20 years more frustrated. Okay. She has a picture from a newspaper stuck on the wall. It's a picture of Miss Honey and Matilda posing in front of her school. 
having just claimed the role of head teacher. Ah, okay. she uses this to throw darts, javelins, shot puts, just sort of outputting her anger towards this one picture on the wall. Sure, okay. How old do you think Miss Chonchba was in the first film? Uh, I looked it up. She's around fifty-ish. Oh, you mean Pam Ferris was around fifty? Yeah. Oh, sure. Okay. How, how, how do you think the character's around fifty? I guess it would make sense. Sure, it doesn't really. So she's now in her seventies. I guess. Has she lost any of her strength though. I don't know. Let's just move past this. Okay, sure. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I don't think it matters. One point, she throws a shot put to the wall, hitting Miss Honey square in the face. Okay. The picture of Miss Honey. Yes. Yeah. Right. The shot put bounces back and lands on her foot, breaking a toe. Oh no. You say, oh, no, she's the villain. Oh, yeah, sure, sure, sure. I instinctively sided with the She villain. screams out in pain and frustration, screaming at Miss Honey more than anything. Mm-hmm. She's more frustrated than she's ever been in her whole life. Mm-hmm. She's had 20 years of hurt, and now this. In fact, she is exactly as frustrated as Matilda was when she was living with the Wormwoods. And this leads to something very peculiar to happen. As Trunchbull screams in rage at the picture, the picture tears itself apart. Oh, oh, she's developing powers. She looks confused, and then suddenly her face looks... She shows a face of realisation. She looks at the shreds of paper on the floor, below where they used to hang, and with her mind, she lifts them up, throws them into the fireplace. Ooh. With a look of sheer madness on her face, she immediately, immediately starts packing a bag. Ah, okay. Cut back. a real picture this week, I like it. I've <laughs> really drawn in. I've gone all out. Yeah. This was worth the two and a half hours you've been sat in my flat. <laughs> Cut back to the high school. It's the middle of the day. Uh, Matilda is teaching her class. She's teaching the kids about newts. Okay. And uh, the class is made up of kids who are all about six or seven. But Matilda is teaching them things for about 10 or 11 year olds. Okay. Because she's that good a teacher. Oh, I see. Outside, she hears a really loud and really old car turn up. She glances out the window, as do most of the teachers from their respective classrooms. And she recognises the car immediately. It's Trunchbull's car from 20 years ago. She's kept that same car. Yeah, I know. It broke down in the first week. <laughs> <laughs> she made it work. Okay, sure. With a look of horror on Matilda's face, she runs to the window, as do all the other teachers, all of them being ex-students of the school and remembering how Trunchbull was to them. Ooh, okay. So is, is that going to be like Bruce is now teaching home economics or something? Sure, yeah. And Amanda is teaching, I don't know, there's nothing hair-related, so maths. Yeah. It? Yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> I Bruce, like that, though. Bruce Bogtrotten, he's teaching, like, cooking. That's what I meant, home economics. Oh, 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 right, okay. Yeah. Cool. What about um, lavender? Biology? Sure. Botanics, yeah. that's the closest to plants, you know? Like, that was yeah, lavender yeah, yeah. plants, you know? I mean, they're not in this, so it's fine. Sure, sure. But I, like the, I like that detail that all of the ex-teachers yeah, yeah. are ex-students. All the teachers are ex-students. I mean, that's really nice. Yeah. So as the school has drilled before, Matilda tells all the kids to run to the back door of the school to the playground and stay there. She goes to the front door where Trunchbull is parked, but by the time she gets there, Miss Honey is already outside. She's saying, You can't be here, Aunt Trunchbull. I swore an oath the day you left that you'd never walk through this doorway again. Ah, well, I swore no oath, so I will do as I please. I'm going to take back this school if it's the last thing I do, and I will lock you in the trokey for the rest of your days. But the trokey's gone. We took it out and put a window with a flower bed there instead. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't resist. Oh, I like that. That's just a... being unbe- unbelievably twee. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I was laughing at. Trunchbull lifts her hand, and out of her car fly two shot puts towards Miss Honey. At the last moment, Matilda steps out the front door and stops the balls an inch before they hit Miss Honey in the face. Mm-hmm. No, it can't be you, Wormwood. <laughs> 
And what do you think is going to happen here, Trunchbull? Everybody knows what you did now. You're never going to be head teacher of the school again. At that moment, Magnus, Matilda's son, uh, also runs around the corner and hugs Matilda's leg. Magnus, you should be in a playground hiding with the other kids. Magnus, says Trunchbull, looking confused at this child hugging Matilda's leg. And then she works it out. She works out who this Magnus is. And in a fit of rage, and also the disgust of seeing a child for the first time in 20 years, <laughs> she utters, You're right, Wormwood. If I can't be the head teacher, nobody can. And she raises both hands slowly, with a look of sheer concentration on her face. The ground below them begins to shake, and the walls crack. The three of them turn round, and they watch as the whole school lifts up 50 metres in the air, revealing all the students and the teachers in the playground behind it. The building moves backwards a bit, so it's positioned directly above the playground. And then Trunchbull drops her hands, and the school starts to drop. Matilda, not being as strong as she was, she can't hold the whole school up in the air. She can pull it towards her, which she does. Mm -hmm. And the school lands exactly where it took off from, essentially. Misses the playground, all the kids are fine. Oh, so no one was inside the building? No, they'd they'd all got out of the building. Okay, sure. The school crumbles as it, lands, as it lands, and rocks fly everywhere. Matilda deflects a few of them, Magnus hiding behind her, and Trunchbull's already in her car leaving. Miss Honey, on the other hand, doesn't have such luck. She takes a brick to the head, knocking her to the ground. Is she okay? Matilda falls to the ground out of sheer exhaustion, leaving Magnus the only conscious person there. He goes straight to Granny Honey to see if she's okay. And she's not, she's bleeding from the head. So he calls an ambulance and does what he can to elevate her head. He might be six, but he's pretty smart. He's Matilda's son. This is so dark. Yeah. <laughs> Miss Honey's bleeding out. At that moment, Matilda comes round. She takes one look at Miss Honey and screams out, Mum! And she uses her powers to try and stop the bleeding a little bit until the ambulance comes. And it does quite quickly, and then very quickly whisks away Miss Honey to the hospital, but there's no space for them in the ambulance. They're both absolutely distraught, and I'm shivering. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> this is the most intense thing you've done in a while. <laughs> They're both distraught, but still able to think clearly, so they decide that Trunchbull's probably going to have gone to their home to claim it back as her own. Sure. The same house from the original film? Yeah. Cool. So Matilda gets in the car and drives to the only people she knows that she's going to be safe with. The Wormwoods. Oh, the whole gang's reunited. Mm -hmm. Okay. She's kept in touch with them over the years, and Magnus even refers to them as his grandparents. Even though they don't get on massively well, but, you know, they're there. Okay, sure. They're all aware of each other's existence. Mm -hmm. They've retired now. Mr. Wormwood did spend some time in jail for his dodgy business. But eventually, after a while, Mrs. Wormwood won the bingo big time. Got him out. And uh, now they live in, yeah, it's not the nicest house. It's an average house, but they don't need to work again. Sure, okay. So they're both retired. Their son still lives with them, but uh, he he, he pays his own way. Sure. Just about. Probably got debts and stuff. I don't know. Matilda tells them everything while uh, Magnus goes and makes pancakes for himself in the kitchen. Sure. With an epic soundtrack. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Mrs. Wilmot is she's very sympathetic and understanding, saying that you know, they can have the spare room as long as they want. Mr. Wilmot is just as inappropriate and rude as always, though. Sure. I couldn't really script them. Okay. If, it, if it felt like beyond me. Sure. So they spend the night, but Matilda can't get any sleep. She's worrying too much about Miss Honey. And also can't forget the fact that Trunchbull is probably sleeping in her bed. Oh, okay, yeah. Not a nice thought. Not a nice thought at all, no. I don't know if she's in there right now, John, in your bed. Since she has any spine, right? I've probably had worse people in there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. 
have some standards. <laughs> In the middle of the night, Matilda gets a phone call, which wakes Magnus up as well. And the doctors tell her that after uh, many hours of surgery, they were unsuccessful. And Miss Honey has passed away. Oh my God. This is bleak. Are you crying? <laughs> <laughs> it's tough. <laughs> I hate myself for doing this, but... Yeah. So it, you're sure you should be ashamed of yourself. Yeah. Um, this your story. This absolutely breaks Matilda and Magnus. Mm. They hold each other and just cry all night. The morning comes and they have breakfast in silence and then get in the car and drive back to their big house where they know Trunchbull's going to be. Mm-hmm. They stop at the end of the drive. Matilda reaches into her pocket and pulls out a red ribbon. She ties back her hair, then looks at Magnus with a tear in her eye and says, No more Miss Nice Girl. Ooh. She quoted the title of the movie. <laughs> Shit's about to go down. Yeah. The two of them get out of the car and walk up to the house. As they walk past Trunchbull's parked car, Magnus, just quite casually, just raises his hand and crushes the car into a ball of rubble. Okay. Matilda looks at him a little bit shocked, and he just shrugs. Is this, this, this the first time he's exhibited any kind of power? Yeah. Okay. The two of them walk into the house, hand in hand, and the house no longer looks like it's theirs. It looks exactly how Trunchbull had it 20 years ago. Oh, wow. It's quick work. Yeah. <laughs> she's, she's a busy woman. Sure. Is the portrait back? Well, that was burnt. It did get burnt, I don't really know what yeah. to do there. Maybe there's another one. Maybe she made, made, drew her own. Yeah, sure. Now it's just like, like a stick. crayon. Like, yeah, really, really <laughs> amateurish one. <laughs> they find her sitting at the kitchen table, scoffing her face on a giant chocolate cake that Magnus made earlier that week. Mm-hmm. It's over, Agatha. You've done enough. What are you going to do, Wormwood? We both know you're not as powerful as me, and I have nothing to lose. You've brought your child here with you, she said, while spitting at the child. Sure. It's like, you've brought your child. <laughs> <laughs> just hocking on that poor kid. I'm going to ask you to leave and never come back, just once. No. Very well, then. I hope you like Magnus's cake. Matilda raises her hand, and the cake lifts up in front of Trunchbull. Trunchbull also lifts her hand, and the cake floats back down to the table. Then Magnus joins in, and the cake lifts up again. It floats towards Trunchbull's face, and then slowly, piece by piece, the entire massive cake forces its way into her mouth and down into her stomach. Okay. It's a disgusting sight to watch. (laughs) That does sound pretty gross. (laughs) Trunchbull is now retching and just crying on the floor in front of them. It's a sorry sight. Who is this for? It's a while since I've asked that question, but who is this for? <laughs> Me? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm very much gripped, but my God, it's getting very dark and graphic and disturbing. <laughs> At that moment, three police cars draw up outside. The police come in and arrest Trunchbull and take her away. Matilda and Magnus hug each other, and then they get in a car and go to the hospital to pay their respects to Miss Honey or something. Reclaim the body, it seems. <laughs> <laughs> the doctor takes them to the room, and they walk in, to find Miss Honey sitting up in bed with a bandage on her head. She's alive! They run to her and hug her. I assume you dealt with Miss Trunchbull? Yes, but we thought you were dead. No, I'm going to be just fine. I did that because I knew that without that pushed emotion, Magnus, you'd never have unlocked your powers and used them against Trunchbull. That's pretty dark behaviour. <laughs> yeah. think? Faking your own death to make a child so traumatised he uses his psychic powers to take out another woman. It's real dull, it's fine. It's oh fine. God, yeah. They hug again and we fade to black. And then we come back a few days later mm-hmm. at the site of the school. Okay. Miss Honey's in a wheelchair. Not that she can't walk or anything, she's just... Lazy. Massive head injury. Oh, right, sure. Um, Tomato, Tomato. 
Matilda is holding Magnus, and the two of them both have a hand stretched out. And they are very publicly, they are rebuilding the school. All the kids are behind them, they're all cheering them on, mm-hmm. and they're just putting the school back together piece by piece. Okay. And that's it. Ah, that was really good. Thank you. I was genuinely enthralled by that. Yeah. I do think it would crush a lot of childhood dreams to see Miss Honey get like a brutal head injury with a brick and to see the Bruce Bogtrotter scene turn into a horrific scene of torture. <laughs> but, uh... It's pretty horrific anyway, but... Uh... Yeah, but it's kind of in a fun way. Like, there was nothing fun about what you just described. Like... Mm-hmm. <laughs> but no, that was good. That was, yeah, that was, that was quite memorable. This film definitely brought something out of you. Didn't yeah. it? <laughs> yeah. Cool. Okay. I don't think I've got any questions. Well, actually, I do, yeah. So she's gone to prison now, but mm-hmm. once she's got over her cake trauma, she's still going to have all those super psychic powers, right? Is she not going to break out of prison in like a hot minute? Well, maybe. Matilda 3. Oh, okay. Maybe there's going to be... Like, Return post- of the Trunchbull. Or- yeah, maybe there should be like a post-credit scene where mm. she's like in the, in the prison and then she like looks at the bars and they bend outwards or something. Something like that, yeah, yeah. maybe. Or it could just go straight into my, my film where she's actually enjoying being in prison. Yeah, sure. She becomes like top bitch. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that could work. They should really cast Pam Ferris in Orange is the New Black. They should. How she, good would that be? She'd be great fun. She would be amazing. Mm. Yeah. Like, imagine her versus Big Boo or something. Oh, wow. Or imagine if her and Big Boo were like lovers. Both would be great. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Get on it. Get on it, Genji Cohen. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Okay. I'm very happy with that. I'm very happy with both of those ideas. So, let's see how our listeners did this week. Okay. Cool. So, listener submissions. First of all, uh, Ben Stevens said his sequel to Matilda is just Carrie. Have you seen the film Carrie? I've not. Oh my god. What? Okay, we're going to do Carrie soon. Okay. It's a film, it's a horror movie, a Stephen King horror movie about a girl with psychic powers who's mm. older than Matilda. It's oh, good. Sorry. Okay. Uh, ben Stevens also said Matilda, as in D-E-U-X, oh, the French Oh, nice. Matilda, yeah. Uh, Tyler Lubin just said X-Men, question mark? Yeah, sure, yeah. Which is what I thought you were going to do. That's why I said, oh, I think I know where this is going to go. Clearly, I did not have a clue where that was going. <laughs> In a whole other direction. But for some reason, when you said you had a kid, I thought you were going to make the kid like Charles Xavier or the guy from Legion or something. So, okay, sure. Yeah. But you didn't, which I'm no. Well, that would work too, but you definitely went on a more creative route. Mike Carey said, Mafrilda. Ma frill as in T H R I L. I got it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Under Miss Honey's loving guidance, Matilda opens a carnival of wonders, like a travelling circus ah, of freaks. Okay, now we're talking. Mm-hmm. Uh, Scarlet Lee said, "Matilda too, the secret of the pancakes, in which a, a wise sewer rat tells Matilda her powers are derived from the flour in her own homemade pancakes." Yeah. So it all ties back to that dance scene. Mm-hmm. Maggie Roche also of Matilda. Then she also added, "Amusant avec Calimbour Francais." Which apparently translates as uh, fun with French puns. <laughs> okay. Because Matilda, it's a pun. Yeah, yeah. I got, I got it, John. Well done. It took me a few, a few minutes of reading it back to get what that meant. Joe Herman, Mandrilda. <laughs> what? <laughs> Not a pawn, thank God. And, uh, <laughs> Mandrilda is Matilda becomes friends with a monkey. Like a mandrill monkey. Okay. Hilarity ensues. <laughs> right, okay. Mm, t- title's the, the title's some, questionable. Got some yeah. room for work. Yeah, it probably exists and it's probably no one should ever see it. Like, no. Haley Kasbrusk. It looks like a Polish name. Haley, you've got a Polish sister-in-law-esque. Can you pronounce that? Oh, Haley Kasbrusk. Yeah, there you go. Perfect. Haley Kasbrusk. That's an absolute guess. Sure. So Haley Kasbrusk says a movie in which we solely follow Danny DeVito's character. I want to know what his life on the run was like. Mm, yeah, so, yeah. Yeah. I almost went with that, but I couldn't really think of anything. But mm-hmm. yeah, it's an option. Drew Miller said Matilda Destiny. <laughs> I like it. 
Mara Wilson has to travel back in town to World War II and convince a horn dog Roald Dahl to put his philandering aside and start writing children's books. Mm. Along the way, she crosses paths with Ian Fleming, Christopher Lee, and the rest of the Baker Street Irregulars. So I guess it's sort of a League of Extraordinary Gentlemen meets classic writers. Sure, I guess, yeah. Good work, yeah. Mm-hmm. Ian Esmer says, I don't know about the name, but my pitch is that we just follow that kid who ate the whole cake. What a hero. <laughs> oh, I agree, I agree. Katie Bryan said, Too Matilda Fast, Too Matilda Furious. Nice, mm-hmm. nice. Ross Burton. Oh, no. Not troll. Says, uh, let's take that. It's a, this is a very Ross answer. Let's assume the following things are true. <laughs> this is an essay from Ross. It's an X-Men prequel. Sure. It's one of the only a small fraction of X-Men films that are actually any good. Sure. So let's use it as the first in a new, open bracket, good, close bracket, series of X-Men films. Let's do Dark Phoenix, but properly with all the space stuff and Jean Grey going all weird and scary. Or the astonishing X-Men where they fight the newly sentient battle room and Cyclops kills a giant sentinel with one eye blast. That okay. feels very tangentially related to Matilda. I feel that was just a Ross's rant for the day that he felt like he wanted to crowbar in. But I can see where he's coming from. Is Matilda Jean Grey? Because then we're talking. Yeah, I, I'm guessing maybe that would work, yeah. Yeah. I did almost go for a Legion thing. I was like, Matilda in Legion. Mm-hmm. That was like one of my backups, but yeah. Uh, False Starts Podcast, at False Starts Pod. We know that Matilda never had to use her powers again. The Trunchbull is gone. That's what we know. So, Matilda grows up, graduates, and gets a proper job and a good apartment in the city. Her mum and dad get wind of this and decide to move in. Matilda, being the kind soul that she is, lets it happen, because they're old now, but they're just as hard as they always were. There's a corporate takeover at her job, and the new boss is a smarmy, mean, misogynistic piece of shit. He turns the office into a hellscape, with bars on the windows to prevent jumpers. Every office cubicle is now an actual cube. Six sides, no mingling, no water machines, only very strong coffee to keep everyone super alert. Well, so it's up to Matilda to use not magic, but her smarts to lead a workers' revolt and take him down. So yeah, I guess it's Matilda as an adult. Yeah. Okay. Film me up at Film Me Up Reviews. Matilda has to cope with her child living in the 21st century with video games and movies instead of books. <laughs> That's good. They should actually make it happen, and it should be called Matilda by hook or by book. Nice. Like it, like yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. And finally, Blokebusters said, Matilda 2, back to school. Matilda has become a teacher at Crunchham Hall with Miss Honey as the headmistress. Much like a lot of teachers now, she's grown a little bit cynical, but it's mostly as pleasant as she ever was. And she still has her powers and frequently uses them to mess with any kids who are acting up. Mm-hmm. One day, a man arrives and calls her Dipface. We realise that it's a grown-up Michael, her brother from the mm-hmm. original film, Michael Wormwood. He describes how he eventually came back to the USA and now wants to reconnect. At the same time, a man claiming to be Miss Honey's dad also appears. Michael grows close to Matilda and helps her to investigate the man. It turns out that he is, in fact, her father, having faked his own death with the help of Miss Trunchbull. This is uh, Miss Honey's father. Mm-hmm. So we discover now that Miss Honey is actually a manipulative wench who's always wanted her father's fortune Ooh. and used and used Matilda in the original film to get her hands on it. So she was the villain all along. Wow. Yeah. The Trunchbull just happens to be a terrible person, so that made it easier for her to mm-hmm. create the lie. So Matilda has to decide between joining forces with her old family or sticking by the woman who raised her. In the end, she goes full scanners and blows both their heads off and runs away. <laughs> I felt the bloke just ran out of ideas there and just needed to end it on yeah. a horrifying <laughs> note of violence, but that's fine. We've all been there. Do you prefer mine where Miss Honey fakes her own death or do you prefer that one where Miss Honey is, was evil through all the, the, the whole first film? I don't think in your one Miss Honey is particularly evil. I just think it's a bit of an extreme thing to do. So and I'm, I'm going to stick with yours. I don't want Miss Honey to be evil. I mean, with mine, it was extreme for extreme's sake. Yeah, sure. Like, we need to deal with Trunchbull somehow. And if yeah. Trunchbull more, more powerful than Matilda, what are we going to do? 
Yeah, okay, fine. No, it makes sense. Logic. I still think it's a little manipulative, but... Well, yeah, it had to be, though. Okay, fine. Cool. I mean, Miss Honey does cross some boundaries in the original film, so, yeah. As we discussed, so. Cool. So those were our listener submissions for that week. Thank you, guys. I thought they were all very good. Uh, if you have any sequel ideas for Matilda, or any other films we've done in the past, please let us know. We are Beyond the Box Set. You can find us at beyondtheboxset.com. Our podcast is available on all good podcasting platforms, including iTunes, Spotify, Acast, Podbean, Google Play, Stitcher, etc. Just search Beyond the Box Set or go to our website where all the links can be found. If you like the show, please review and subscribe. It really helps us to find new listeners. And you can also support us on Patreon to access all of the exclusive bonus content we mentioned earlier. Just go to patreon.com forward slash beyond the box set. And next week, we're going to continue our actors turn directors season for another week. Mm -hmm. And it's my choice. Yeah. So I have decided that if we're going to do actors turn directors, it shouldn't just all be men. So I'm going to do a notable film by a female actor turn director. So next week, we are going to do the film Whip It, directed by Drew Barrymore. Okay. Have you ever heard of it? Is Drew Barrymore that person I thought was a guy? She was in Fifty First Dates. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think you did think she was a guy. Yeah. Yeah. She's in that <laughs> Netflix series, Santa Clarita Die. This pains me. Well, that I don't know much about you Drew Barrymore. Know, I mean, I'm used to not knowing pop culture references, but this one is, it hurts, because... She was so famous when I was a kid, and like she's not as she's still famous. She's an A-list mm-hmm. celebrity, but yeah, it's it's just a dagger in my heart. All right, well, I um, mean, she was the little girl in ET. That's what she's still most famous for. You've seen ET, right? I don't care for ET. I you know what? I don't even like Steven Spielberg. Really? Yeah, I don't like his films. I'm going to say it. I've, I've made I've made an executive decision. Wow, wow! You must have ended this episode to drop that bombshell. <laughs> so, what? There are, there are no Steven Spielberg films you like. You'd, I know you didn't like Jurassic Park. No, don't like Jurassic Park. Didn't really care for Ready Player One. Close Encounters of the Third Count? No, not seen it. E.T.? Didn't really like it. Schindler's Well, I guess that's not really a fun film. I've not seen Schindler's List. It would not work on this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> I've often thought we could try it, but it would yeah, be the yeah, most me depressing too. <laughs> It would be the most depressing, and it'd be so hard to not be horribly offensive. Like, <laughs> what else have you done? I mean, I guess Bridge of Spies was all right. Yeah. Uh, I think else? maybe you've seen the wrong Spielberg film. What else is there? Did he do Indiana Jones or was that George Lucas? I think it was him. Okay. Yeah, that was alright. I feel like I need to test this. You liked AI, didn't you? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I preferred the Tony Kubrick bits of it, though. Sure. The Spielberg stuff, not such a fan. Mm-hmm. Okay. Interesting. Okay. Well, well, this well is... there we go. Luckily, so, uh, we're not sorry, everyone. A... <laughs> Luckily, we're not watching a Steven Spielberg film. We're watching a Drew Barrymore film. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, whip it. Yes. Whip it. Whip it. What's it vaguely about? Can you tell me or not? I'm not going to tell you a thing. I'm going to let you watch it. All right, cool. Cool. Well, so join us next week when we will watch Whip It. See you next week. Bye. 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 Bye.